title of tonight's Dharma talk is I Need Help. I need a lot of help. So this is a question that quite often people, not always, sometimes people will say, I need help. I need some help. I need help with something. And of course, there's all kinds of help out there in the world. Some people you say, I need help too, and they're happy to charge you a fee, take your money, and give you the kind of help that they think you need. And of course, if you're into helping anybody, you're probably going to help them in the way you think is appropriate. Sometimes people just have a cardboard sign that says, help me, hungry, God bless you, and all that. So they really don't want a lecture from you. They just want some money. So you could you can help people that way. We don't have that much money, so we can't do much of that. On the other hand, if someone says, uh, to me, I need help, then, then I would try to respond in a way that's helpful, which may be um, not perceived as help to them. Sometimes to use some metaphors or images, sometimes when people come to me for help, what I see is uh, something that they don't see, which doesn't mean I have permission to tell them about it. If I don't have permission, I don't say anything about it. But sometimes to use an image, it looks like people have big, heavy bags of rocks they're carrying with them. Just an image. There are ideas. This rock is an opinion, another opinion, ideas, presumptions, beliefs, disbeliefs, rocks, stuff, junk. <clears throat> and they, you know, people carry those because it makes helps them to feel protected, gives them something to reference point, something to hang on to. So... When they get panicked or get threatened, they, they can go to this rock or that rock or this reference point or that reference point. And even though you can see that, even though not just me, but other people can see, quite often anyone here probably is, can relate to the images I'm talking about. You notice that people are kind of full of their ideas about themselves and who they are and what they think, what's right, what's wrong, what they need, what they don't need, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. And so it makes it difficult. If somebody comes to me and ends up being a student of mine, then it's a little bit different. Then I get to order them around, turn them into a slave. Of course, I'm not going to do that. But what I do get to do, if I have permission, then I then I can recommend that they train their mind, that they begin to um, get the, a fundamental kind of help, which is basically you can do this yourself. You can really understand who you are deeply, not just superficially, your name, your education, what you think about this, what you think about that, all kinds of ideas and opinions that tend to gather around us. But you can find out deeply who you are, and that that trajectory or that path leading to the realization of who you fundamentally are can be very difficult, and it seems to be different for each person. Some people are going up a mountain, some people are going down into a tunnel, uh, to use those kinds of metaphors, some people are, are climbing out on limbs of a tree. There's several different directions and ways. And there doesn't seem to be any necessarily uh, a lot of uh, um, uh, similarity. It seems to be so, people's confusion is so different. Some people have a great deal of difficulty with what we call depression. Some people don't have that at all, but they have a whole lot of anger. Some people don't have anger at all, but they have a whole lot of jealousy. Or, or difficulty with who they are, or feeling responsible, feeling ashamed of who they are, and they, and they can't find a source. You look around, where, where is the, where is the, 
the shame remover. You know, where, how do we, what do we do with that? If you're just feeling like you're worthless, like you've done something wrong, you get buried somewhere, you can't find out what it is. Very painful, very difficult. Quite often people will, they're feeling a great deal of stress and difficulty. They will drug themselves, not just, not just chemicals, but activity. Some people just jog constantly to, to help them stay away from that stillness, which, in which all those negative, uh, Feelings tend to encroach. Got to get up and move. Got to get up and go do something. Got to jog. And uh, I'm not saying jogging is wrong, of course. You can jog all you want. It's just that sometimes activities can be used as a way of you know, staying away from the awareness that tends to creep up on us. Sometimes we get haunted by uh, feelings. So when someone says, I need help, I need to talk to them a little bit and see what, how. Do I have permission to help them in a fundamental way, or is it just they just need somebody to listen to them for a while? I can do that. I often do that. And sometimes the expectations around what the help might be, there's some kind of expectation about how that's going to work. And um, especially with the sitting practice of meditation, that there's certain ideas about, well, if I sit and I do this, then that means I'll begin to feel better. Maybe not. Maybe the sitting practice of meditation is going to lead one into uh, one of those tunnels where everything gets dark and gloomy. That may be the path that you personally need to take in order to really um, be more aware of these bags of rocks or these blinders or whatever other kind of images you could use to show lack of awareness or lack of understanding about what this is. Quite often we overthink everything. We have a difficult feeling or emotion, and instead of just going into the, as I recommend, going into the emotion, into the texture of it, it's like looking at carpeting and going down into the nap, down into the texture of it. Instead of going into the feeling because it feels like crap, we want to pull out of that and go somewhere else. We want to distract ourselves or we want to cover that up with a bunch of ideas and opinions and causes and conditions about why that's even there. That gives us a little bit of uh, respite. Just like blaming. If something goes wrong, if you can blame someone, especially if they actually did something, it's much easier. Then that the act of blaming tends to create some kind of a screen between what actually happened and is temporarily, you could say, uh, temporarily it relieves our discomfort, our dissatisfaction. So the Buddha Dharma and the Buddhist Buddhist teaching, uh, the Buddha said life is suffering. He didn't say part of the time. He didn't say sometimes life is suffering. He said life is suffering, meaning that it is shot through with difficulty of all kinds. Just just the being born, just having nerve endings and all these six sense fields that are nerve endings that feel very nice if they're treated softly. But those same nerve endings, if they're run into any kind of difficult treatment or harsh treatment, then all of a sudden there's pain, suffering. Not only the pain that we experience, but when we look out at the world that is having difficulty, that's also felt by us as suffering. So when someone says, I need help, we would look and see what is that, what is the fundamental situation? What is somebody actually asking for? Are they actually asking for some kind of fundamental, or are they just asking for some kind of temporary relief, relief from something? Children. How do we help others? 
meet them where they're at. So if you can meet someone where they're at, be with them, they might not feel you're doing that. They might not feel, they might feel like you're, uh, someone might say, well, I, I talked to him and I told him about this part of my life and that, and they, they just weren't helpful at all. Someone may tell you some of their uh, difficulties they're having and, and all you do do is listen. You don't really have permission to do anything beyond that. And you can kind of sense that the person just wants to tell you they don't want to receive particularly. So you fundamentally, you would be helpful to them just by meeting them where they're at. Even if, even if that brought up negativity for them. Yes. How is listening helpful? Um, because it is a very subtle form of generosity. As I talked about before, you're actually giving someone your attention. You're looking at them. You're receiving. So you're giving your attention to them. It's not necessarily thought of as you're being generous. It might later on, they might reflect on it and realize that. But maybe at the time, they might just feel irritated because you're not, not helping them. They may be irritated by it. If someone asks us for help and we see that we have ideas. For instance, an example. uh, If someone maybe asks us what they should do and we see that we have an idea of what we think they should do, but we also see that that's probably our projection, what can we do in that? Don't say anything. Less is better in that situation. You know, if you you could say if someone is having difficulty with uh, drugs, you know, with, with drug abuse or whatever you want to call it, overusing or using something to cover something else up, you may not have permission to talk to them about that. And it may be not so helpful to point out to something to them that they're trying to keep from looking at. What you could encourage them to do is to take a look at it. And that might not be a direct thing. You need to look at what your problems are. You need to, uh, you might, It'd be hard to uh, hard to give some kind of a protocol that would fit every situation. Sometimes just being with someone, just looking at them, discussing something, is, can be helpful to someone. Just keeping someone company. Josh, how do we be, meet someone where they're at without taking on their burden ourselves or feeling that downness when we're around it? Without what? Feeling like that heaviness when we're talking to them or being around them. Yeah, that might be hard. You might have some difficulty doing that. So just don't make anything of it. Don't add anything onto it necessarily. Just notice that it's difficult. We all know somebody that's, you know, somewhere in our life, sometimes it's a close relative. It's very difficult to be around that person just because of their particular dynamics. It's very complicated. So I would say keep it to a minimum. Do, do some, but then don't, as they say, don't OD on somebody else's negativity. Do some. And then... As I've sometimes said, I'm saying now, it's very important to respect people's uh, confusion because they're, they're not respecting their confusion. They're probably, in a lot of cases, are covering it up and hiding out from it. So therefore, they go along and do the best they can, and then something else triggers that, and suddenly there's an emotional tsunami that overcomes them, and, and they have a breakdown, or they do something terrible, blow up, whatever it could be. So we need to be respectful of people's confusion and their clarity. And that means just being with them. And it's very difficult to be with somebody else if you're avoiding who you are. So that's why it seems to be important to sit down, train your mind, get to know yourself. As my teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, used to say, make friends with yourself. This, this doesn't mean getting rid of your negativity. It means sitting down and noticing the negativity that arises and don't accept it, don't reject it, don't look away. Don't do anything with it. Just make friends with it. 
so that it's it's there. It's 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 as if you said, well, you can hang around. I'm not going to particularly cuddle up to you, but you know, if you need to hang around, then go ahead. It's kind of a um, it's like walking down the street and uh, glancing at the curb along the edge. You don't have to accept the curb, reject the curb, or ignore the curb for the curb to just be there. Something that's there, but is not, you're not fighting with it, you're not supporting it or joining it, and you're not shutting off, closing yourself off from it. Maybe the metaphor of the curb isn't the best one, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a nondescript thing that's you know, pretty impersonal to start with. From the I other don't. side of the equation, how do we ask for help in a genuine way? From teacher, sangha? I just direct, as direct as possible. It's difficult to do that. Sometimes it can be hard. We, can, we know we want help. We know we need we need to get some help, but we don't know exactly how to how to do that. So sometimes people don't want to do that because it's embarrassing. Uh, we don't want to be a person who needs help. We, we don't like the feeling of being of needing help. It's kind of a from the point of view of self centeredness or ego. It's kind of hurts our pride to ask for help. And sometimes asking for help, uh, say if you people ask help from me and sometimes I just feel like I, I just don't know what else I can do. I do the best I can. But I can't always present someone with here's the magic formula. All you have to do is this. If I even say how much you're sitting and then you say how much you're sitting and then I say well maybe you could ramp that up a little bit. Um, the person might ask well will that help? I'll say <laughs> well or not. Probably a good idea. More awareness seems like the the more we can strengthen the seeing awareness part of our mind, uh, the, the more likely it is that we're going to see more clearly, more deeply into the difficulty we may be creating for ourselves. Like I sometimes say, our thinking process is muscle-bound. We're constantly ex exercising evaluation, analysis, judgment, comparison. We're constantly exercising that. So it's, it's muscle-bound. We're really strong when it comes to thinking. What is uh, going deep due to the thinking process? Again, please. What is going deep due to the thinking process? Due to the thinking process. Or how does it help us see <coughs> the suffering? Thinking process. How does it? How does how does the going deep get at the suffering? Because we begin to. See, it's not thinking, but uh, the awareness starts to drop down lower and lower and lower. Just a way of talking about it, into and begins to see the what's been hiding out down there. What we've been, uh, the conventional psychological terms, we've been repressing or holding back or hiding out from. It seems to be necessary to go down deeply and look at that. And deeply is just a, a way of talking about it. It might be a cross. If, if we're with somebody and we're just being there and not saying anything, does that allow for deepness to happen? Maybe. Not necessarily. No guarantee. Um, you had said uh, earlier that you often can see something that someone from you may not be aware of. You, know, you might be able to see some aspect of my negativity that I can't see yet. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to uh, ask the teacher to point that out to you? There probably is a way to do that, but the, for the person who is functioning as a teacher to actually point that out may not be that helpful. The, the teacher, he, she, or they may 
see that, but also at the same time see that you're going to have to see that if it takes another 20 years, that you're going to have to see it yourself, that the pointing part actually will cause you to spend more and more and more because you, the pointing part is a, is a, it depends. I mean, it's time, there are times when you could point out, but it wouldn't be necessarily be conceptual. Both of my teachers pointed out what a fool I was, not by pointing directly at it. Do you trust that space of not knowing where to go and your teacher's not quite <clears throat> saying this is what you need to do? Continue to practice. Continue to open up, open up, and open up. More open, open. The less you know, the more open you are. That's that's difficult. Ego doesn't want to do that. Ego doesn't want to go out into no man's land, no woman's land. Doesn't want to go out into some kind of openness where there's no reference point. That's very difficult to do. But that's what this uh, spiritual path is actually asking you to do. It's not a. It's not therapy, not psychotherapy, and it's not. It's not about getting better. And, and in fact, and in fiction, it could be called getting worse. A willingness to to actually see who you are, even though that feels worse and worse and worse and worse. That's why the sitting practice of meditation is such a powerful tool. Yes? When we, when we ask for help or when others ask for help, it seems like there's an assumption that something needs to change or something needs yes. to get better. Yes. If nothing needs to change, then what is happening when we're getting help? Uh, there isn't anything but change. Change is happening all the time. Everything is impermanent. So anything that comes up is going down or going away or coming back. It's always changing. So the kind of help you may be getting may be may seem like no help at all. It could happen, it could function any any different way. Maybe I'm not addressing your question. I'm missing your point. If perfection is already the case. Yes. What is being helped? When? When we ask for help. Probably nothing. Keep coming. I'm following you. Is the relative help? <clears throat> are we always asking for relative help? Yes. Thank you. Yes, we are. We're always asking for something else. Like it says in the back of her rock suit. Nothing else. There isn't anything else but this. So I sometimes say, if you ask me or if you present your case or present your situation to me by way of asking for help, uh, I might say I have said, you're looking at it. Not just this old man, but when you're looking at the wall, that's it. There isn't anything else but that. It is not separate. And to realize that is liberation. That may take 20 years if it happens at all. Yes? Uh, what is the importance of asking for this type of relative help when there's actually nowhere to get from what we're asking? So that you can see that, don't you? But you've been writing it down. No, I wrote it down. I you wrote down, I forgot. No. <laughs> what did you write down? I wrote down when asking for help, you're always asking for something else. Oh, good. Yes. Um, how can we meet someone where they're at when we're working in, in an interaction, when we're looking at our own insecurities and stories? That's and how you do it. That. That's how you do it. Don't abandon your own difficulty or someone else's difficulty. That's how you meet them. They're fundamentally not separate. So the very difficulty you're experiencing is not separate from the difficulty they're experiencing. Quite often helpers, especially professional helpers, like coaches and, and uh, therapists, 
Not all of them. I know a couple of therapists that aren't too bad. But quite often, they are, without even trying, they're, as soon as they meet someone who's coming in to get help, they, they, without even knowing, they kind of set themselves a little higher than that person. As they're the one who, who knows, and they're the one who's help, the helper person, and there's the helpless person or the person who needs help. That's a misunderstanding. So you, you should ask, your next question, next question should be, so what is an understanding? What's an understanding? Not separate. I never get to say that. Not separate. We're not really separate from other people. It just looks like it. looks like there are higher people and lower people. People who know, people who don't know. People who are confused, people who are not confused. One who is not confused does not shut out confusion to maintain some kind of not confused state. One has to be so open that every anytime you run into confusion, you're flooded with confusion. And if there's a strong self there, a per, a, a, some kind of self-centeredness or ego, then you're going to think that you're suffering. You're going to think that you're having an experience of suffering. I'm glad I made myself clear. Go on, Richard. Just listen. Okay. Good to see you. Thank you. Further questions, please? We've got a lot of time left to fill this all out. Boy. How can we determine if we have someone's permission? I think it varies with each person. Uh, it depends on what the whole dynamic. There's so many variables. If you're, you know, quite often you're in a situation where you're, you know, that your mom or dad or brother says somebody you've known for a long time, probably not going to get any permission from them. Maybe, but unlikely. They'd have to be really, really having a difficult time because they already have you built in as a, being a certain person with certain, you know, when they see you, they see their idea of you, their opinion of you, who they think you are, what they think you've been doing. They don't see you. You can feel it. If you're around someone who is projecting on you, you know, you could practically leave the room and they'd still be looking at your empty chair. Not exactly. But sometimes it feels a lot like that. that someone's idea of you, their projection of you, and they might be at the same time telling you, they love you and care about you and are only want you, what is good for you and everything like that. And you know that they're not seeing you at all. They're only seeing their idea of what they want to be a person who's caring for the person that you are and you need help and you're <sighs> yeah. Son Ho from Saginaw has he asked if sitting there is getting help, what is distraction? How do we work with distraction? If you see the distraction, then that's all you have to do. Pardon me. That's all you have to do is be aware of the distraction. Question from Sheldon down in Union City. Yes. He asks if everything is always changing, what makes that so unsatisfactory? The unsatisfactoriness of that is shows up as we're dying. We're here and things are impermanent. And we look in the mirror and you see that you're slowly fading into history. <clears throat> so fear of death, fear of ending, fear of what we have we're losing, uh, fear of what we have that we, uh, we are no longer want. Doesn't seem to leave, so it's it stays around instead of changing in the way we want it to change. <clears throat> You're writing that down. Fear of dying. <laughs> Fear of flying. That's a book by Erica Jong. Fear of flying. Can anyone read that? Okay. Further questions, please. Yes. From Shane out in California. Shane is suffering an experience. Yes. Choke up. 
our confusion and suffering the same thing? Well, I, get, I think so. But, I mean, we can we can have some confusion, but the suffering isn't too intense. We're just not sure what's happening. But there are other times there can be intense suffering, but there's not a lot of confusion about it. It's just uh, just uh, uh, indigestion. Pretty straightforward. Of course, those can be together too. But they're concepts, so they're they're always they're um, open to all kinds of variables and interpretation and so on. How do we see the joy of change by understanding the confusion of it? Again, please. How do we see the joy of change by understanding the confusion of it? Do you think change is joyful? Sometimes it is. Okay, that's how it's done. <laughs> just like you just did it. It's interesting how we project onto something that it's a good thing or a bad thing or I like it or I don't like it. Sometimes the same thing can change our perception of it, changes so much. This is still the same situation, but it seems like a good thing. Another time it might seem like not just such a good thing, very complicated. How can uh, Sangha be of help to its members? So Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Buddha is the example of someone who is sane. Dharma is the truth that he taught. Everything is dependently risen. Nothing comes from its own side as an individual, or it's egoless, selfless. And Sangha is the community of people who are stuttering, studying, but they may be stuttering, was <laughs> stuttering such a teaching. And the way Sangha is valuable is that people who are studying that material are less likely, they're still possible, less likely to project things onto their Sangha brothers and sisters, or their community for that matter, that are uh, are extra or less likely to judge, more likely to give others the benefit of the doubt, even though they may seem to be confused about things, more uh, more of a, a possibility that they can be respectful to other people and allow people to have their difficulty, their neurosis, or their confusion, uh, and be fundamentally supportive of them in their practice so they can actually be who they are. Um, for those of you who live in this community and have lived here for years, can probably speak uh, say as much about that as I can. It's a good. It's good to be in a in, the, in an environment of people who are whose fundamental motive is not to get ahead of you, to be better than you, to beat you, but to fundamentally support you, take care of you, but not interfere with you or meddle with your issues and problems. It's called respect. And if you haven't, if you're not respecting this. You're probably going to have trouble respecting others because you won't understand what respect is. How um, is there some some clue as to when we may step into meddling, both as an individual practitioner or as a sangha member? Is there a clue when we should? When we when we are moving in that direction, <clears throat> less is better. Well, you'll notice it if you start to get irritated with someone or aggravated, <laughs> turn the volume down or leave, get out of that situation. Move away from that's not ignoring that's that's seeing that there's the the fire is too hot and to back away from the fire the fire of anger the fire of distress the fire of confusion pardon me again yes um if we bring our personal perceptions down um would that likely result in to us being able to see ourselves for what we are and our external environment for what it just is if, if perceptions are, if you don't add anything to the perception, if it's just a perception, then slowly it'll clean its own house. But if you add anything on to the perception, like it's a good perception, it's a bad perception, 
It's a correct perception. It's an untrue perception. If you add anything to the perception, then it gets starts to spin in circles. Just direct perception doesn't do anything except receive. Just receive through any of the six sense fields, including the mind. So it can be it can be difficult because sometimes the, what we're perceiving is frightening. So, but it seems to be necessary to hold your seat and let it come through. But our personal perception, do we need to like tone that down in order to see our external environment for what it really is? They're they're not separate from each other. What seems to be uh, important there, if I'm understanding your que- question uh, correctly, is to strengthen the awareness so that both of those, uh, you begin to understand what both of those are rather than try to do something with them with your mind ahead of time, like trying not to do this or do this. First, uh, don't do anything, but sit down and uh, strengthen the awareness itself. And how do we do that in this tradition? Sit down, hold still, watch what moves with all of the senses open, and it'll be thought patterns coming and going. The more you watch the thought patterns come and go without adding on, this is a bad thought, this is a good thought, I don't want to think this. I like this. I don't like that. Or getting too wound up in stories about your life, about reviewing things that were difficult. And the more you can just be present, just look at the wall, look at the floor, hold still, feel it, feel your senses, hear noises outside the window, look at the colors in front of you and strengthen that awareness. So when you do get up off the cushion and you move back into your life with the, the various kinds of perceptions you were uh, describing, then they become uh, more clear, less complicated. Takes It takes time to do it. It can't be done in uh, two weeks, two months, two years. It takes time. You're young. Start doing it. Yes. The, um, where those, um, say, the environment and your perceptions come together, that point, uh, is it okay to watch that? Sure. And hold. Where does it go? I don't know. Did something go somewhere? No. <laughs> Another question from Sanho. Yes. He asks, how do we know if we're actually getting help or if we're continuing to spin in circles? You may not. You may not know right away. You may not have any evidence of progress. Uh, that's why it's necessary to have a teacher, necessary to have a sangha and a teaching. Um, on the other hand, there are those rare people who have a spontaneous realization without any apparent practice at all. They are very rare, and usually there's some kind of intense conflict just beforehand. The famous ones are Byron Katie, um, who's a fellow, Eckhart Tolle, um, the in the middle of the last century was, uh, or beginning of the last century was uh, Ramana Maharshi in India, spontaneously realized who they were without any practice at all, particularly. So you won't know. But if you have a teacher, you can talk to that person. If you have a sangha, you can interact with those people. You can study together, which is what, what we do every day, just about every day, six days a week, sometimes a couple of times. Question from uh, William up in uh, Grand Rapids. Yes, William. He asks, uh, how do we know if we're helping out of our own confusion? How do we know when we are not? If you're if you're doing any kind of uh, judgment, rationalization, analysis, trying to figure out whether you're confu- whether your help is confusing or coming out of confusion or not coming out of confusion, then you need to not do anything. 
I mean, if you're if you're in that area where you're trying to see what kind of help is not what kind of help is coming out of my confusion, what kind is coming out of my clarity, don't do anything. And when I say this, I'm not stopping you. I'm just saying that then you will only act to help when you see there isn't any alternative, when it will be choiceless. You have to help. A good example of that would be, you probably all have some kind of experience of this. You're walking along and you see someone who's uh, asking for help, maybe begging for money. And and you just, one person you may just help. And you're not sure how they pulled that off, so to speak. And the next person, you may not. And you'll, you'll notice there isn't a lot of thought pattern around that. Maybe not even any judgment of their clothing or any commentary on they're probably going to just use this for drugs, which is fundamentally none of your business what they're going to use it for. You should just either help or not help. Keep it simple. Keep it very simple. It's not going to be some kind of a wonderful feeling of helping the right person, but I'm not going to help that person. If that's happening, then stay home. It was meant to be funny. You can smile. Uh, on a, a broader sense, um, this, especially this time of year, there are bell ringers outside of mm-hmm. stores asking for money for the Salvation Army, yes. people being ravaged by fires in California. Yeah. I, I mean, any number of places that are asking yeah. for help. And um, so you you just said that the individual person that might be begging, sometimes you give help and sometimes you don't. Yeah. So is there... Is there a guideline for being a responsible helper on a broader sense? It's pretty complicated, especially when you're people are on the internet are asking for help, and you probably can't go wrong giving the Salvation Army some help. They have a pretty good reputation of helping people. Managed to do quite a bit with their little budget. I mean, we ask for help. I'm going to ask, ask for help, help as soon as we're finished yeah. and before we dedicate the marriage. <clears throat> you should demand help. <laughs> oh, I try to. <laughs> so, you know, if uh, ask for help, and then if people help, good. If they don't help, then we don't sit in judgment of anyone. And people have their situation to deal with. We don't know what that's like to we don't know what someone's bank account is like or what their obligations are. So, yes. How much analyzing should we do when we're helping something? Like, if I think about the Salvation Army, they support a lot of anti-LGBT. Um, mm-hmm. Laws and, and that's clear emotionally. That might. How do you know about that? Um, well, they've been <laughs> called out for that on several occasions for discriminating in hiring mm-hmm. processes um, and just where yeah. the lobbying money goes. Yeah. So stop yeah. giving them money. Well, I, I guess where it's it's hard to understand where that line is. Yeah, there's no line. Thinking about it too much. Yeah, you, you'll find the reason to give or not give. And yeah. you, you don't know. We really don't know. There's no way to figure that out. If we, if there was somebody to figure that out, the world would be at peace. But people take that kind of attitude uh, towards everything and try to figure out and judge and evaluate. Well, they're doing this, but they don't do this. I'm not supporting them because of this. It's if you just listen to the news for an hour, especially if you go every five minutes, you change channels. You know, it's like it's a wonder we're still alive. It's a wonder somebody hasn't, you know. Kim Jong-un hasn't bombed all of us, trying to help us, get rid of us so we don't have so many problems. You know, it's confusing. I mean, there's no way There's no way to really figure it out. It's just way too complicated. And not only that, but it's complicated from hundreds, thousands of years ago. This complication has never been uh, a 
as you could say, ironed out. It's, there's always this kind of confusion, this kind of spinning, spinning around, and people operating out of their judgments, their opinions, their ideas, their prejudice, their hopes, and their fears. So, you know, in Salvation Army, you know, you could say some of that, their help is probably helpful to people. But if they're going to not help uh, LGBT people, then, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that's, maybe you don't want to give them any money. I wouldn't recommend doing doing either direction. That's the first I'd heard of it, actually. Of course, I don't do a lot of research on stuff like that. So, <clears throat> so who told you that? Well, the wiki gods and the Google gods. And the Google god. GG. What's that? GG, Google god. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always go into Wikipedia if I want to know the truth. Well, because there's a lot of these third-party sites that'll tell you like how much their CEOs are making, how much per dollar that you donate actually goes towards their cause, and sometimes it's very disappointing to hear of every dollar you give, six cents is actually going to feed the hungry. Or I, I'm very aware of what you're talking about. It's, it's difficult. It's just uh, the nature of the complication is it's so complicated that to try to act uh, proactively in an area like that is just. It's just a labyrinth. It's like, I mean, I could, just from watching the news today, I could tell you all kinds of things that are aggravating to me to hear about people I I think are pretty good people that are being slammed by what has been happening. They've twisted things around and they're slamming them because they're making judgments and presumptions about things. And it's just, it's painful to watch. So what do I say about all that? You ready? Train your mind. Train your mind, because if you don't train your mind and your own mind is spinning around, when you enter that area we call the world, which could be as, as a, a, this room or this country or this city or this neighborhood, then if you train your mind, then you won't be taking your own unexamined or un, uh, un, excuse me, reconciled warfare into the world and add to the confusion in the world. Excuse me. If you find out who you are, if you find out what this is, you're you're not going to be quite as bothered by what's going on because you'll be able to see that it's dependently arisen. Everything that is happening is dependent on this and on that and on this and on that and this. And as I go like this, we're going right back down through the centuries, all the dependent origination. And for you to step in the middle of that with your own little, I want to just do something good, uh, might just add to the confusion. Because if, if you've got unexamined aggression on the left side of your, just under your ribs down here, and it wants out, all it takes is one trigger out here in the environment that you're opening yourself up to for this to come rushing forth. And you'll say, I don't know why. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I said that. It just came out. So find out who you are first. This doesn't mean you can't join a political party or be part of some kind of a movement. I'm not trying to say don't. I'm not trying to say go on the mountaintop and never come down. I'm just saying, do a little of each. Try to try to train your mind at the same time. You're maybe being active in a in some kind of a movement. Yes, sir. Do things that are unexamined have to be triggered in order to begin to examine them? No, no. You can ex you don't have to trigger anything. You sit right there. What happens to you when you sit there? Tell me. I see a lot of difficulty. What triggered it? So keep doing it. Keep looking at it. It's very hard to, to look at, at a, a cesspool and know how deep it is. You're going to, probably going to have to dive in in some, in some way, some fashion, or at least begin to work with it in some, some way.
it's very difficult to know. The thing, one of the ways that people work with that is to go the other way. I'm just not going to look at that. No, that's too much. I can't do that. I can't. It's like people when they say, I can't watch the news. It's too, too difficult. That's why I say, watch a little bit. Don't, don't OD on the news. You're going to need a psychiatrist if you do that. Yes. Is it okay to look, or uh, when we're looking at uh, organizations or news or all these things, is, yeah. is it the tension we should look at? The tension, the tension that's there, the warfare. No, just look at look at the material, whatever's arising and coming, and just you don't have to stop. Even though I say don't add, I know we can't stop. I say don't add, don't do the math, but I know we can't help it. I, mean, I can't help it. But I know that if I say don't add, then you'll begin to be more and more aware of the way you add on your opinions and your ideas and everything. And so it's a matter of watching that movement. To watch yourself get triggered and irritated by something that's being said on the news or something that's being said by your neighbors or by your relatives. It's a matter of observing that without adding to it if you can help it. Yes. Anna Maria from Brooklyn. Anna Maria from Brooklyn. She has something asks for help. Someone offers help, but then the how to help is not clear. What then? It, it seems very important to not meddle with someone in order to get some kind of response that you're helping them. Quite often, not, not saying relative to what you're saying or asking about Anna Maria, but quite often people want to be known as people who help or, or helpful. And so they're, quite often these people will tell you how much they help others. I always put other people before myself. I don't know. People tell me I should take care of myself, but I can't help it. I'm just, I just always think of other people, and I'm always trying to help other people. I'm just, you know, we occasionally hear this. This is a person usually, not always, but usually this is a person who just, it's a self-centered thing where someone wants to be known as a helper. They want to have the credential, want to have other people think of them as being a helping person. It's not that they couldn't do be helping some, that we're not taking that away, but the intention, the motivation behind it kind of, Gets, a, gets the whole thing a little bit confused. So I would say, as you've heard me say, Anna Maria, many times, don't do anything unless you have to. And that includes help people, especially based on your idea of what they need. Well, I'm just, remember your mother saying, well, I'm just trying to help you. I'm just doing this for your own good. It's like right away, even though you're only eight years old, something's fishy about that. And you know it, but you don't know how to, because you can't say anything because they'll hit you. <laughs> well, mine would anyway. Or they'll send you to your room, or don't you sass me. You know, I was sassing. I thought we were having a conversation here, Mom. <laughs> Very interesting area. One, one final question, if we have anyone has one. Yes. Uh, Mason posted an article not too long ago. I don't know if you read it. My son? Mm -hmm. Probably not. <laughs> I read this stuff. <laughs> um, and it was a Buddhist, I think he's a professor perhaps, um, talking about, I'm simplifying the article very much so, but there was a line about how Buddhists don't run soup kitchens, something like that. Mm. I'm kind of critiquing um, this larger picture that we have and how it doesn't help in personal direct ways. Um, is there a mistaken assumption when 
when there's an impulse to start a soup kitchen or just help in a, in a way that seems not just helping? Not necessarily, I don't think. You know, it's uh, not necessarily someone to write an article like that is just a pretty broad statement. There's, I think there's some truth to it. I'm trying to think of anything that would, you know, like the fellow, uh, I can't remember his name, the monk who started the bakery uh, in New York to help, uh, Bernie Glassman was his name, uh, started the bakery to give people jobs so they could, they could uh, help to help them in that way. That might be more of a, along the lines of helping someone rather than just give them soup. So I'm not sure if that's where your question was going, but. How does sitting and facing the wall it helps because you are not separate from the world, even though you think you are, and that you are, since you're not separate, you're you're working on a very fundamental level with your humanity. You didn't ask to come here. If you go look in the mirror, you won't know how this person uh, that I have renamed, uh, Junshu, originally named Bailey by some, somebody else, I guess your mom. Uh, you, you go look in the mirror and I tell everybody that. Go look in the mirror and say, how did this happen? Don't leave leave in three or four minutes. Stand there for 10 minutes. How did this ha- How did this happen, this person? Reflect on that. See if you can find some source for this. Pretty difficult. I'm not saying you can't, but if you do, come and talk to me about it. I'd like to hear if you can tell me where I'm from. We don't know how this all came about, but yet we just take it for granted. I'm here. I'm a person. My mother, the culture tells me how to act and how to do things and I have a language and so it seems to be far more mysterious than that. And it has to do with no separation. We are separated, but we're fundamentally not separate. So uh, if you want to help humanity, uh, the way we do it in this tradition, sit on your butt and find out who you are and, and take, solve, give up, lose the war in your own gut so that you're and in your mind so that your awareness can find your heart. Because this won't do it and this won't do it. This is the only place it's gonna happen. You can't find this if you're if this is in turmoil, if you're panicked about everything, or if you're so intellectually spinning, trying to figure, figure, calculate, figure it out, figure it out, using all kinds of logic. Not that logic isn't helpful, but sometimes we tend to OD on thinking process. Shane has one last question. He wants to know, do you know things that you don't tell us or talk about normally? (laughs) Shane, do you want to know my secrets? (laughs) He wants to know my secrets so that he can sit up on here and confuse people further. Not really. Not at all. Thank you so much. So now here's where you get to help. <laughs> but also would like to remind you of our donation boxes in the hallway. We gladly accept your financial help. You may go online and give us help, or you may see Junshu, who has a magic square that will take your debit or credit card. You can help us in all those ways. Thank you. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together